0: I'm Peggy. Today's scripture is from John chapter 17, verse 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right, thank you Peggy. You're welcome. Yeah, good morning. All right, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Tucson, and I'm glad to be together and to get to open up the scriptures together. Thank you all for praying for myself and my family. We were sick a couple weeks ago, and um, we kind of hunkered down to Heather, and we're doing well, and yeah, thank you. And I know uh, at, at home, as Pastor Marcus said earlier in prayer, there are some who, who are sick at home for diff- and, and just for different r- reasons need to be there. I know some have new b- babies and things like that, so uh, congratulations. Um, again, if you need anything, please reach out to us as a, as a, as a church family. So as we get into it, I want to let you know if you're new or you've never heard me preach before that I have a stutter that will kind of come in and out as I preach. I want to make sure that you know what that is. And um, also, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 17. This is our last week in John 17, what is referred to as the high priestly prayer. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't and you'd like one, please hold your hand up high and keep it up, and we will get you one. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Um, And so again, this morning, uh, we want to get you a Bible. If you don't have one, please keep it, all right? This is our gift to you. So hold it up, keep it up. This isn't an auction. We're not going to notice you look in your ear or anything like that. And um, let's go ahead and pray and get into our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this space we can be in right now. We don't take it for granted. Or if we do, we are reminded of over a year, almost two years of kind of couch surfing in different places where we didn't have a location of our own to consistently meet in week in and week out. And we're thankful that we are here meeting on a Sunday morning in a space where we can all be together. We do pray for those who are sick, for those who are not here with us, For different reasons, they're on our minds and our hearts. And Lord, for those of us who are here in person or online, we pray that you will speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray, I pray that, uh, Lord, that your spirit and your truth will come through my imperfect mouth. Lord, that you will shape us and guide us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Keith is in Flagstaff this week. He's up there preaching at Redemption Flagstaff, so he and his family are there, and, and we're glad that 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 they can be kind of with the Redemption Church family, and, um, you know, this is a, a fun time of year to be in Flagstaff, and, and it's their first time all as a family going up there, and so he and I were talking about this sermon, because he's preaching through the same text, and we have here lo- locally and all across Redemption, we have what's known as the preaching coll- collective. We'll talk about the passages that we're going to be walking through together. And so as Keith and I were talking about this passage, he asked me, do you know the song, or have you heard the song, Imagine All the People? All right, some of you know that, a few I see, maybe some of our senior saints definitely know it. Uh, I grew up in a household. My mom is from England, was born in the 1940s in England. She was born uh, the same year as most of the members of the Beatles. And so she actually got to interact with them a couple times. Anyway, I'll tell those stories some other time. But uh, we always heard the Beatles growing up. So I know, though, that that is not the Beatles. That song was written by John L- 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 Lennon, 1971. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I know that song." And he's like, "Well, think about the words. Have you heard the words?" It's like, "Yeah, I just when I hear the tune, I just want to rock back and forth. Maybe put my arm around someone. If there's not someone, I'll find someone. Right? Just rock and kind of feel good. Maybe bust out a lug, lug, lug wider. You know, have a lug wava lamp. Well, oh, here it is. Imagine there's no heaven." He didn't know I was gonna serenade you this morning. I am. It's easy if you try. And then he goes on. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Imagine all the people. Come on, Gary, where you at? (laughs) Living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. The world will be one. Now you know why I preach and don't sing. (laughs) No, no, stop, stop. But even there, right, maybe you heard the tune coming out of my mouth on some semblance of the actual tune. You're like, oh, I know that song. Like, maybe at a graduation they play it somewhere. Oh, I, I know that song. It's really not saying much. There's this happy tune That's essentially saying, if we all just close our eyes and imagine we're one, we'll magically be one. And that's pretty hopeless. (laughs) It's pretty futile. It's kind of fluffy. What it's basically saying is this illusion of oneness will come about if we just think hard enough and believe hard enough that we're all unified, then we will achieve oneness. That's our hope, and it's pretty hopeless. All right, if 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 left to ourselves, our efforts at unity and oneness fall flat. They're either fluffy like that, like just believe it, just you feel good, and that's all we need. Or there are other efforts of oneness that have caused great harm. Right? For example, now this is a sharp left turn. From Im- Im- imagine all the people, but nazism right we all circle around this ideology that we are the best that we are the best race the best country the most powerful people we circle and find oneness around this one thing and there we've achieved it we've arrived and obviously incredible harm came about that right young young pe- people, if, you think in different different friend groups at school, right? I don't know if you guys still use this term today, but like mean girls, or right the the mean the mean group. I was thinking about that movie and was like, wow, that's a really old movie. I remember <laughs> when it came out. And it, this idea of oh, we're the prettiest, the coolest, the smartest, the m- m- wittiest. I just m- mashed up Hamilton and L- Lindsay Lohan. Um, but, right, this idea, oh, we're the smartest, we're, we're, the, k- we're the coolest, we circle around this idea, but, but that never lasts, right? Eventually, they fight with each other, someone feels like they're threatened by someone else, and, and it all falls apart. And again, our efforts at unity or oneness left to ourselves are, is broken. It's, it's hopeless. But the desire is good. All right, the answer is not go be a m- 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 Maverick, go hunker down on your own. That never works either. We have a longing deep within our hearts to be one, to be in community. God created us that way in the very beginning in the garden, this place of, of peace, not, again, close your eyes, lava lamp, marijuana-induced, like, short-term idea of peace, but actual peace, the way things should be. The scriptural word is shalom. That God, being perfectly one, created us in his image to be one. We're told in scripture, in the image of God, he created them, or him. Male and female, he created them. And then God performed the first wedding. And he said, you are now one flesh. Right? What God has joined together, let no one separate. Let the two become one. One. So this idea of oneness is good, but then when sin entered into the world, all of us individually and corporately said, well, I want to define community. I want to define unity. I want to define relationship. I want to define identity and purpose by myself or by ourselves apart from God. The one of the first things to happen was disunity, was mistrust, was shame was brokenness. And, 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 it, and it happened in the very first people, Adam and Eve. And then it continued to their children, Cain and Abel, and continued on there. And all the way to a culmination in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel was again people trying to unify around something apart from God. And God said, this is not good. They all speak the same language. They will find unity apart from me and it will ultimately lead to irreconcilable demise. So God stepped in and confused them. That word babble means confusion. So God confused their language and dispersed them so that we would not be able to fully and finally unify around anything of our own. And then in the next chapter, God says, I'm going to focus in on one family. I'm going to bless the entire world. The entire world will have an opportunity to be Unified to be blessed under one name. And that name is Jesus. And he focuses for thousands of years, the story is building on one family, the f- family of Abraham, the people of God, growing in their identity as God's people so that then through that family, one name, the name of Jesus, would come. So Jesus is born, and he perfectly lives Unified with God his Father, as a human, in himself, embodying oneness, fully God and fully man. And in every relationship he has and every interaction he has with God, with himself, with creation, with others, is perfect and as it should be. And then on his way, just a short time before his crowning moment, where he will die on the cross, where his glory will be revealed once and for all, he prays. And what does he pray? He prays for oneness. Jesus prays that you and I will be one so that we can experience intimacy and display his glory. So as we turn to John chapter 17, we're getting again a window into Jesus' heart praying. Just days before he would die, he's praying for you and me. And this is what he says in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Pastor Marcus mentioned this last week. So when he says, I'm not praying for these only, he's referring to the disciples, right? The 12 who were there with him. So he's praying, and this is perhaps the only time where they have a, a window into Jesus' intimate prayer to his Father. And while he's praying, he says, I'm not only praying for these, but also for those. Those who will believe. So again, in this moment, I want you to hear. Look, look at me. Over 2,000 years ago, you were on Jesus' heart. He's praying for you and for me. He's praying for those who just a couple months after this prayer would put their belief in him, for thousands of people who would believe in him through the word of the disciples who are standing there, and then for every person who will hear and respond to the message of the gospel. That word means good news, the good news of a reconciled relationship with God, so again, pause right now in that. What does that mean about who you are, about your identity, about how God feels about you? You were on his mind. You were on his heart. Over 2,000 years ago, he's praying to his father for you. Look briefly in verse 24. We see an, an important word that again communicates what Jesus is feeling, right? We just This isn't just intellectual theology, but We get again to look at his heart and what does he say? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. So often again we think about God's election and God's choosing and God's sovereignty in such sterile distant terms. He desires you. He desires that you will be with him where he is. Experiencing relational intimacy, oneness with your creator. He loves you. He delights over you. In Psalm 139, the language is used that even before you were born, in your mother's womb, he knit you together. He knows every number of hair on your head every day of your life. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, even before creation, he knew those whom he has chosen. You're on his heart. He loves you. So what does that mean for how he feels about you? And then, as we zoom out there, what does it mean for every other human we interact with every single day? What does it mean for the people that perhaps just, I don't know, 20 or so minutes ago when Pastor Marcus paused and said, now pray for whoever or whatever God puts on your heart. I'm sure there's some in this room who were praying for people. What does it, how does it inform your prayer and your interactions with other people wondering, God, what kind of divine appointment do you have in store for others that I might interact with today? People I've been praying for, right? My dad, my brothers for years, decades. Lord, what what might the conversation look like that they have with me or with someone else where their eyes are finally opened and they understand your desire for them, your delight over them, your love for them? What does it look like when you're interacting with someone at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the bank, at work, with a roommate, wondering, Lord, what, what might this conversation look like and have eternal consequences? when you might be drawing them to faith in you. Okay, God calls us to intimacy with him. Jesus prays for us to be one, to experience intimacy with him, to be one with him. And there's also an evangelistic element, right? That can be kind of a bad word, <laughs> like evangelism. I used to have a friend who used to say, let's go evangelize some, some people. And it just sounded like, I don't know, like you, car salesmen. I don't know, like knocking on doors or just like browbeating someone, right? So Bible thumping. But again, the word is like good m- musing. Let, let's, let's interact with people who might need to hear good news, who do need to hear good news, and share the good news with them. And do it in such a way that it actually is revealed and exposed as good news. Again, Jesus' desire and his prayer is for those who will hear through word and through deed, right? He says there in verse 20, through their word, right? Romans chapter 10, right? Says like how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, who preach the good news. Like how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? There's a clear, there's some, I won't even get into it too much but there's this whole idea of like preach the gospel and sometimes when necessary as a last resort use words and I'll just say first of all I don't think Saint Francis of Assisi actually said that and he probably didn't mean what we think it is it's not a, an excuse to never open our mouths and share the good news of Jesus okay we need to use our words But some of us swing the pendulum there and think, oh, as long as I'm saying all the right things, it doesn't matter how I say it or how I live, right? But when Jesus, when he talks about his people being one, there's an evangelistic element to it, and it's what we say and how we live. Someone earlier this week I heard say, a creed without a deed is dead, right? Words that are empty are hollow. Actions without words can be confusing. All right, I'll just be straight up there like there are other religions that probably act a lot better. Right? If we think we're going to out b- b- bake sale or out serve or out you know, just be kind to everyone else, like, th- that's probably not, not our hope. All right, We need to have, have conversation. But at the same time, words without actions are empty, are, are hollow, are meaningless. And that's not God's plan. Okay, picking up in verse 22, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that, all right, underline that, verse 23, if you're following along with me. Okay, our words are important, but Jesus is praying for oneness, oneness with the Father and oneness with each other. Why? Why? That's the huge, that's the pregnant question, why? Why do we want to be so we can, again, just sit around and feel good and just feel better about ourselves? No, there's a purpose. Jesus says, I pray that my people will be unified, will be one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus' prayer is that he will be on display through his people being unified together. Okay, we're told in Colossians, right, that Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Jesus is the incarnation. He's God in the flesh. He's God with us. If you want to know about God, look at Jesus, if you want to know the heart of God, look at the heart of Jesus. If you want to know how God would interact with people, read the scriptures and look at how Jesus interacts with people. It's very clear. Jesus is God made visible. But then here, we understand that Jesus' church is Jesus made visible. His plan, his vision for us is that we would be a picture of himself in the world. How does that feel? I'll admit a bit scary, at times sad, right? When we consider that someone's view of Jesus is how they view the church, how they view our church individually, how they how they view the church as a whole, worldwide. That that's, those are tall stakes, high stakes, that Jesus would want us to be the picture, the revelation of himself around the world. And now, too often, we hear the word y- unity and we mistake it for uniformity. All right, press in here with me for a moment, church. When you think of unity, what do you think of? I think often we've settled for something that we can achieve and attain on our own. We don't need Jesus for it. Let me find a group of people who look pretty similar to me, who vote pretty similarly to me, who have similar hobbies to me. You know, yeah, maybe I like U of A, they like ASU, I like green bay they like minnesota right whatever it is but you know we both like the same kinds of things it's just you know we can joke about these things or you know it's and it's it's same we we lean the same it's pretty similar and we have all these things and if we're honest with ourselves hear me now we don't need jesus for it church let me say it again how often does our version of christianity not really need jesus I like this type of music and they like the same type of music. I like these types of things. We, we think the same about masks. We think the same about who should be president or who shouldn't be president. We think the same things about immigration, about poverty, about racism, about socioeconomics. We're, we're, it's pretty easy. That's uniformity. Okay, that's put this jersey on as long as it it's a similar shade then we can all get along but once you start to expose things that i believe deeply that i i at the my foundational belief and faith is jesus is on the throne jesus lived and died and rose again and he promised to return he's in control he's in charge my identity my faith my hope is in jesus and someone else who would say amen, 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 and amen to all those things has a whole list of other things, though, that is kind of is on the margins of their list. And I have a bunch of things that are on the margins of my list. And since those things are incongruent, we're not, we can't be united because we're not uniformed. That's not Jesus' vision when he's praying that we would be one. He's in his proximity right there. He has people who would not wear the same uniform. Zealots, religious extremists, and tax collectors, people who sold out to the government. All right? <laughs> Big pharma and pandemic people in the same room with him. And he says, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. So that the world will know that I am yours and that you have sent me. So that the world will see my glory. The glory that you've given me, verse 24. Through their unity, the world will see my glory, Jesus says. Again, church, let me, will you join me in praying that we would be a people who ask God, what is your version of unity where you are the defining, determining factor. Where if you take out Jesus, this whole thing doesn't work. It falls apart. Church, I want to be honest with you. I think even my tone right now can feel like finger w- w- wagging. I, my prayer and my hope is that there would be an element of encouragement. Because I, I think since we sc- started as a church, right, we've used this phrase, that we can take comfort in knowing we're going to be uncomfortable together. That, 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 that Jesus is all we have to build upon. If you take Jesus out, it all falls apart. But with Jesus in the middle, hear me now, it demands an explanation. Well, what does that mean? It means that people, the outside world, would look at us. Would look at christianity and would say how does that work how does that group of people work together how do they use language of family when i know that person they were out there protesting on this side of the street and that group of people was out here protesting on the other side of the street and they had signs that didn't agree with each other. They have, and maybe that's extreme. They have bumper stickers that don't agree with each other. Maybe take it a little. They have hashtags that don't agree with each other. And not just because, oh, we cheer for different football teams across the same field. But because we believe things that really matter. That, that is complex enough that says, I believe in Jesus. My foundation, my hope is Jesus and Jesus alone he is my hope, he is my foundation. If you take Jesus out, I fall apart. And because I believe in Jesus, all these other things are built upon that. I think that 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 Uh, How I engage with my neighbor of a different ethnicity or different socioeconomic background informs, because I love Jesus and I read the scriptures, that informs how I vote in this way. And it's really hard for me to think that someone else could think or believe differently. And then someone else says the same thing but comes to different conclusions and says, I think that what it means to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself means this. And so I vote this way, and it's different than this person. But, but the things that, that I say first, that, that because Jesus is central, and because Jesus calls us both to uh, the same place before his throne, then that doesn't allow me... What my heart, want the easy route of just dismissing them, of saying, fine, you must not know Jesus, you must not love Jesus, you, you've, you've turned away, but it, it, it leads us to, like, like James chapter 1, 19, be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? Quick to understand, slow to anger, slow to judgment. It says, what, I know you love Jesus, help me understand what's led you to these conclusions that I'm in a different place at. It leads to real conversation. Jesus says that our unity, that's unity, right? It demands an explanation. It says Jesus is it. We come together around Jesus. And and what's the point? Why does he want to do it? So that his glory would be revealed, right? Again, read in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What's the glory Jesus is talking about? What's the glory that Jesus wants to be revealed through you and me, through us being united as one? It's the cross. Right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Pastor Marcus talked about this last week. Jesus' crowning moment of glory is laying down his rights and dying on a cross for the people that he loves. And he says he wants that glory to be revealed through us. For how we live and relate with one another to display who I am, my identity, my purpose, my preferences, ultimately completely rely upon Jesus laying down his rights for me. It's that Jesus is the means and the metrics of our faith. Okay, what does that mean, right? Those are big words. The means. Because Jesus loves you and me unconditionally when we don't deserve it. Because God demonstrates his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, while we're enemies of God, Christ died for us. That is the means of our faith. Outside of him first loving us, we would not love him in return. That, that is the foundation of our lives. Hear me right now. If that is not the foundation of your faith, then I question whether or not it is authentic, real faith. Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's the metric. Right? Jesus prays, I pray that the world will know that you are mine by your love for one another. That that same glory, Jesus dying for you and me, will now be lived out through us. That if we understand what Jesus has done for us, then we are now compelled, driven, to live out that glory in how we relate with one another. Okay? The metric of our faith. How do you know that faith is real? If that faith is lived out. Okay, James chapter 1 and chapter 2 talks about this. Right, again, the, the, it's not just words, it's not just creeds, it's revealed. So what does the glory of Jesus lived out among us look like? Church, it looks like laying down our rights for one another. For God so demonstrates his love for us, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he calls us to now love each other, and yet, do we not now think we can define love? Well, this is what love means, actually. And No, he's already done that. He's already defined love. On the cross, laying down your rights, not demanding your everyone respect you, everyone agree with you, everyone think all the same things as you, but self-sacrificially laying down your rights, What is love? No, it's not. Baby baby can't hurt me. It's not the the (laughs) follow up. No, the answer is love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. What is love? Love lays down his rights. Puts down his position though he is the creator of all things, takes on the form of a servant, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Love doesn't demand accolade and respect, but takes on humility and shame at great cost to self. And again, circling back to where we started, because Jesus loves you, desires you in that kind of way, He accomplished that for us. He now calls us to be one together, living out of that love together, practically, functionally, expressing that kind of love together and to others that demands an explanation. And so, church, as we close, where is one of the clearest places that this kind of cross-shaped love is displayed? It's at the Lord's table. Right again, Jesus, the night he was arrested, took bread and broke it. And he took a cup and he poured it out. And at his table were people that would not be at that same table if not for Jesus. And Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to them. he said, when you gather, do likewise. Remember that who you are, remember that your whole identity and your, and your whole purpose, though you are a zealot, a tax collector, a Republican, a Democrat, liberal, right, progressive, conservative, what, though, though those things, though you come from this kind of family, though you come from that kind of family, though you have this kind of worldview, first and foremost, foundationally know that you are mine. That my broken body and my poured out blood, that shapes you. That defines you. When you get, You're going to be tempted to be defined by everything else. So every time you gather, just as we do, church, every Sunday, we remember Jesus' broken body and his shed blood that shapes us, that defines us, that ultimately unites us, that makes us one. Church, what would it look like for us, who we are, right? Every week as we do, we stand in line when we come before the Lord's table. It's the same table. We don't sit in our individual seats and take the Lord's, the, right, the cup and the juice, the elements and, and just have it in our own. No, but we come collectively as one before the same table. What would it look like for the outside world, for us here to look around and to say, that person standing behind that person would not be in line together, would not be celebrating together if not for Jesus. Tell me more about this Jesus who unites you, who unifies you, who prayed that you would be one in order to experience real, true, lasting intimacy so that we can together display his glory. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Again, Father, we need you. Lord, I, I pray that um, everyone in this room will be encouraged. Lord, encouraged by your pursuing love for them. Lord, for your pursuing deep, desiring love for their loved ones. And Lord, um, I pray that we will all be, be I don't know, con- convicted, compelled, Lord, driven, driven, to cling to you, to cling to your body, to cling to your blood that unites us, that unites us with you, that reconciles us to you, and that re- reconciles and unites us together, Lord, that we can live as one, as your people, to experience true, real, lasting intimacy and display your glory that demands an explanation, that, that even winsomely draws people to you, Lord, by us being unified by your gospel, by your love, by your power. In your name, amen.